So for this week, we have uh, a hand that I recorded a few days ago with Bruce Briggs from the Top Pair Poker Podcast. Jack wasn't able to make it, uh, so it'll just be me and Bruce discussing a hand from one of his Salt Lake City home games. Hope you enjoy. Good. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's okay. I hope it's, uh, hope it's worthwhile for you. <laughs> me too. It's going to be fun. We've, we've only done Hold'em hands, and me and Jack basically just play, play Hold'em, so hopefully my, my thoughts are up to par for whatever, whatever Omaha... Well, and actually, I, I ended up playing in a game that I played Hold'em, so I do have a, a one Hold'em hand, but oh. I just I listened to a couple of your episodes uh, uh, earlier, and you go into a lot more detail than I ever have, so hopefully <laughs> it'll, it'll pan out. Yeah. Um, so, before we start, uh, do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about, about yourself? Uh, well, I don't, uh, I don't know what you need to know. I, I play a lot of poker. I... Uh, Basically, didn't start playing until kind of the moneymaker era, and been, been been playing pretty constantly since then. Nothing, uh, nothing big time. Just mainly home games. In fact, I have the distinction in our group of of having uh, attended over twelve hundred home games over the last ten years. So, wow, I'm jealous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I go to I go to quite a few. Uh, started the uh, top pair home game poker podcast about. Uh, uh, six and a half years ago in uh, October of '09, uh, with a co-host, uh, Eric Nelson, who's part of our group here in Salt Lake. And he, uh, after about four years, decided that he was too busy with a young family and that and wanted to bow out. So then I drafted a guy that we'd actually interviewed, Robbie Straczynski. He's hmm. actually based over in uh, Israel and does a lot of work. He's a kind of a journalist. He's got his own blog, CardPlayerLifestyle.com, and, and uh, does works for an online uh, poker-promoting uh, institution. And asked him if he wanted to be the co-host, and he said, yeah, it'd be fun. He wanted to give it a try for three or four episodes, and that was over two years ago, or almost two years ago, and been on ever since. So we've... we've uh, We've got a total of about 250, uh, actually we just recorded our 258th episode, so we've got quite a few under the belt. Uh, originally started doing it once a week, and uh, then we kind of cut back as that was a lot and started doing it every other week, so like mm -hmm. every other Saturday we release a new episode. So, Cool. Um, and in terms of you know how, how you approach poker, is it is it like a side thing? Is Do you do it for some type of income or, you know? Not yeah, I mean we've uh, you know we've had a few sponsors on the podcast from time to time, but it's basically been uh, more of a break-even thing than anything else. Mm. We haven't, you know, nobody's made much money off of it, if any at all. Oh, I mean, I mean, like your your poker playing, my playing. Yeah, yeah. it. Uh, I mean, I'm a. I keep pretty close records. I use an online uh, uh, poker free program. I think it's called Poker Dominator. And uh, I, I do I do end up over the course of things making you know making money of you know counting the ups and downs and that but I don't obviously I don't make enough money to to have that as my main income it's just kind of a little hobby and, and a side income so mm -hmm. in fact it's interesting our next episode that uh, we will record uh, I think we're recording the March thirtieth come out the second of April I've actually got an attorney from Las or not an attorney a CPA from Las Vegas that specializes in working with. Oh, what what's this guy's name? Because I listened to the Gambling with an Edge podcast, and they've had the CPA on, like a few times. And 
uh, Condler, Ray Condler. Oh, no, not the guy I'm thinking of. That's not him? Okay, yeah. So anyway, uh, I'll be, we'll be interviewing him about, you know, poker income and taxes and when we should worry about it, you know, if we're an amateur or what, you know, when they start looking at you or when, what, uh, what you have to do to qualify as a pro and all sorts of different things. So. Yeah. And then how do you how do you typically work on your game or if you you know used to work on your game how do you how do you like approach talking about hands with friends and or working on it by yourself? Um, you know I uh, we used to uh, there were, used to be a couple of us that would go out to uh, late dinner early breakfast after a poker session and, and we'd go over some hands and some situations and that and talk but again the two or three guys that I used to do that with all started having families and young kids and kind of popped <laughs> off the scene so to tell you the honest truth I really don't uh, I don't review much with uh, with people uh, other than when I'm actually at the game uh, hands and things like that so that kind of brought back memories when I heard your episode as far as uh, you know the dissecting that you do it but I, you know maybe that's a bad thing but I really our, our podcast we don't get into hand analysis and strategies and things like that they're more general poker th- Themes and more things that relate to home game poker and protocol and, and uh, issues like that. Uh, so I, I don't do a lot of hand analysis, and that's probably to my detriment. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're about to do one now. So, <laughs> so tell tell us about the hand, and you know, kind of in the spirit. You know, you should listen to a few of our previous episodes. You know, give as much detail as you can in terms of like player types and descriptions and yeah i wish i'd have i wish i'd have paid more attention knowing that it was <laughs> that in that much detail uh, but uh again anticipating this and knowing that you may, mainly did hold them uh one of uh one of our hosts we're on a platform here in salt lake on the meetup platform and we have probably oh probably 500 people that are registered as the salt lake poker meetup group but uh of that probably there's only 50 or 60 to play with any regularity at all so i know most of the people pretty well with playing in the number of games i have and uh this one they decided to play uh we all like dealer's choice and or mixed game games but uh this guy decided to spread a, a cash game that was one orbit of no limit hold'em and then the next orbit was dealer's choice, so we did get like half the night in playing No Limit Hold'em. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said before, I haven't played, I haven't played much No Limit Hold'em, you know, forever. Because in the dealer's choice, we hardly ever call that, so it was kind of different for me. And it was, it's kind of an interesting experience. But the one hand I, I kind of made some notes on. I was in the, I was in the big blind, and uh, looked down and I had Ace Ten uh, offsuit, and. Again, it was a small stakes game. The game's a hundred dollar maximum buy-in, and, and you can, anytime you're below forty dollars, you can rebuy and and uh, up to a hundred dollars. But they try to keep the, try to keep the stakes low, try to keep the money on the table low. It makes people kind of nervous sometimes if there's a lot of money. What are the blinds? Blinds are just one dollar, one dollar. Okay. Uh, I was in the big blind, so I was already in it for a dollar. I had a couple of limpers, and again, I can't even remember who they were exactly to give you types or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big, the small blind checked, and of course, I was in the big blind, and I know with Ace Ten, you know, maybe I should have made a raise, but I know enough to know that the type of people and the situation that that, you know, unless I ra- unless I raised it eight or nine dollars, I was going to get called anyway. And I'm I'm a pretty conservative player, and again, this is probably a weakness of mine, but I thought. I just soon see a flop before I invest any more money in. So, I just I just checked the big blind. 
Yeah, so before we move on to the flop, uh, so you, you're kind of saying you don't want to get called by, you know, like unless you make it eight or nine by these other players, but what do you think the types of hands those other players have? Like, do you think they're they're limping with ace-five offsuit, ace-five suited, and would they call a raise of, you know, seven or eight? Again, I don't, I, I probably should analyze it more, but I'm, I'm looking more at personality than specifics, and mm-hmm. I just know enough to know that they're there, I, it's kind of almost been a theme of home game that I've heard uh, two or three times. It's like, you know, I didn't I didn't take the time to arrange to come to the game to take care of, you know, family obligations or work obligations or kid obligations or wife obligations to fold. <laughs> I'm, here to, I'm here to play. So I, I didn't really think of what they might have. I just thought of if they've already committed to a pot, unless I make it, you know, seven or eight dollars, they're going to say, yeah. I came here to play, so if you make it four dollars, you make it for five dollars. I'm going to call anyway. Yeah, well, with a hand like Ace Ten, it just depends the type of hands those players are playing. And I think a safe assumption, if you don't have any like specific reads, is that these players are you know very loose players and very passive players. So you know they're going to be limping with probably a really wide range of hands, like maybe at least thirty percent their hands. And then if you look at how Ace Ten does against that range, you're doing really well. So even if everyone calls, even if that makes the hand maybe a little bit harder to play, uh, it's still good because you're loading the pot when you have a, a pretty good hand. Like, mm-hmm. if someone is limping with 8-9 suited and you make it 8 and they call, that's that's a dream spot for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I gen- again, I wasn't at the game and don't have, you know, the most specific reads on these players, but I think as a general rule, uh, when you're playing in games with, like, loose passive players... And uh, you're, it's like limp to you in the in the big blind, or you're in late position. You can raise it up with a pretty wide, you know, value range. You never really want to bluff there, but uh-huh. hands that maybe in a, like a tighter, more aggressive game like Ace Ten, if someone raises and there's a few calls, you don't want to just call. You kind of want a three better fold. But in a game like this, uh, it's probably a good spot to raise because you're going to be ahead of what everyone else has. Uh-huh. Well, and and again, this is this is an unusual circumstance, and it's kind of hard to to wrap your mind around unless you're kind of in the the group in that as far as the dynamic. But uh, two other things entered in my mind. First, uh, yeah, I was last to act pre-flop, but being in the big blind, I'll be very early to act post-flop. And you know, Ace Ten, yeah, sometimes you don't know exactly what to do with it. And and again, maybe this is selfish or maybe this is delusional or something but I'm thinking I want to wait till this stupid boring hold'em round is over with and then we can play some Omaha which I feel like I'm a lot better player <laughs> yeah and this was this honestly was the second or third hand of the night so it was like I I, I don't want to get into a tangle that early you know so uh, I, I just I just lived in yeah so of I course just, and and I think that's an important thing to talk about because uh you know, I, I think you're you're kind of as you're t- talking this out, you're realizing that hey, maybe it wasn't the most profitable thing to check there, right. but it doesn't mean that there aren't you know, there aren't reason legitimate reasons for you to do so. Like, mm-hmm. if you, if you checking a hand like this, which is I still think is a clear raise, but it's a little more of a marginal spot than let's say if you had ace queen. Like if if you check there, in many ways, uh, your life will be easier after the flop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from. So it just depends on, you know, balancing that with, you know, building up the pot to make more money off some worse hands. Right, right. And seeing that, again, I'm thinking, 
the pots that I'm going to make money off of are going to come into the, uh, you know, Deuce to Seven or the the Omaha or the Big O's or those kind of games. So, mm-hmm. but again, you're you know, I was there, so why not make money anytime I possibly can? So yeah, like, <laughs> that, that's that's what I think about when I'm at the table, <laughs> and, that, and that's good. So, so anyway, the uh, flop comes out, uh, Jack, King of Diamonds. And I can't remember what the third card was, but it was totally an inconsequential card relating to either my hand or the other two cards on the board. Okay, and do you have any diamonds? No, I don't have any diamonds. And what approximately are the stack sizes of the other players? They're all pretty much equal, because like I say, this oh, is like third hand, yeah. or third hand of the night. So they're all within probably $10 of $100, either $90 or 110 There hadn't really been any big hands or anything after that. So. Cool. Okay. So anyway, that comes off. Uh, everybody checks actually every no okay again see I, I don't do this analysis so I don't uh, I don't think about it that much uh, I think the guy that was first to act uh, well I was first to act so I checked it because I didn't really hit the flop I mean I've got a gut shot there but uh, you know I, I I just checked it because I I don't know why <laughs> so, so how many players are behind uh, there's four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, well, I, I... Besides me. Two others plus the small blind, so there's three besides me. Okay, so, so, so the there, there's... So the off, the yeah. small blind checks, I check. Uh, it goes to the guy that was the first in the pot before... Wait, but well, before we get to him, I just want to talk about your decision to check here. Okay. So I definitely, I don't mind the decision to check. Um, and if I get to the flop with H10 offsuit in the spot, I'm likely checking. But again, like you like you were saying before, uh, you don't really know why you checked. And I think when you know whenever you're playing poker, it's always a really good idea to have a good reason for whatever you're doing, whether it's checking, folding, betting. And um, I mean, uh, just to talk about why I think this is a good check is you have a lot of equity in this hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, if an ace peels off, and if it checks around on the flop and an ace peels off, uh, you're likely to have the best hand. Uh-huh. You know, if a queen comes off, that's not a diamond. You 100% have the best hand, uh-huh. um, and and you have you have a decent amount of of equity. And if players are fairly passive, which it sounds like there are they are, uh-huh. you don't want to bet and get called because you're going to be out of position most likely if you get called. Right. And then that, that makes it difficult to play on the turn. You know, if, if it was checked to me in position here, I'm always betting, right. but you don't want to like fold away your equity here and. Uh, with 100 big blind stacks, if someone behind bets and another person calls, you can, I think, pretty profitably call to basically just hit and maybe bluff certain cards depending on what, what you catch. But I definitely look, don't like the idea of betting and then having to fold to a raise or having to play a bigger pot out of position uh, against a pretty wide range of hands that's, that's ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good analysis, so. And I was I was really thinking all of that in behind. <laughs> so 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 you check, and then what so, happens? So, so I check uh, the gentleman that was uh, first in the pot pre-flop uh, bet out. I think he bet out three dollars. So again, not a huge bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other person that was in the uh, the hand pre-flop folded. The small blind folded, and it came down to me. And I I basically reasoned it the same way you just said. I thought well. Uh, if if the Miracle Queen comes out, I've got the nuts. If an ace comes out, I'm probably pretty good. And then depending on what else comes out, you know, who knows? So I called the $3 bet. So going to the call, I actually was saying that if someone bets in someone else's call, calls uh-huh. you could pretty profitably call. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think against one player, it's going to be a very difficult hand to play. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, playing draws out of position, especially bad draws like gut shots, mm -hmm. is just a really hard thing to do and generally unprofitable. I think sometimes it makes sense to play your combo draws out of position, especially if you don't have any fold equity, like kind of just call. Mm -hmm. But uh, pl playing a draw like this out of position is, is really tough because you kind of have to have a plan for when you don't hit. Like, are you going to bluff diamonds or are you going to you know, be able to thinly value bet a top pair hand against this player? And I, I think it's likely best to either check raise or fold. Uh, but to kind of decide which of those is better, I would want to ask maybe just a few questions about this player. Okay. Do you think the $3 sizing is indicative of anything? Like, would he do that with his draws and his value hands? Would he, uh, like, only bet $3 with a middling hand? Like, are you reading into the $3 at all? Or I think what you first said is right. I think he would bet that with a draw, or he would bet that if he maybe hit the king or the jack. And uh, is, this, uh, is this player more conservative? And it, like uh, He's... he's Probably one of the more aggressive, one of the more aggressive players. Not super aggressive, but of a, of the group that was there, the eight people there. He's probably uh, high on the aggressive side than the rest of us. And is is do you think he's like a strong player? Like he, he thinks about the game and, and yeah. generally makes good decisions. Yes. Well, then I think this is a pretty clear fold. I think against some players, maybe weaker players that really aren't going to continue on multiple streets without the top of their range, mm -hmm. you might be able to profitably check raise here. But against a you know a decent player in position uh, who's showing some strength and you have a hand that you know while it's playable is kind of at the bottom of your range of what you'd continue with, I think it's probably best to just fold this spot, especially early on in the session. Mm -hmm. But you know you called, so let's let's talk about the turn. <laughs> the turn's a queen. Turn's a queen. Good card. And uh, so now I'm first to act, and, and like you say, I've made the nuts, but I'm in early position, and it's it's a queen. Offsuit. It wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't tie in with the two diamonds. Uh, so at this time, oh, if the memory serves me right, there's about ten, maybe twelve dollars in the pot. Mm -hmm. uh, I make a six-dollar bet, kind of a, you know, I have, I, uh, I want to get some value, but I want to chase anybody out. And I'm known as a real tight player. Usually, whenever I bet, everybody just folds all over the place. Okay. So it's so a check raise in the spot would look really strong from you. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's important because I think this is actually especially for, like, more aggressive players or people that come off as, you know, very loose, like myself, <laughs> uh, this is a spot where I'm going to check-raise a lot because a lot of their value hands, mm -hmm. uh, you know, are are still likely going to bet. Mm -hmm. And it's also a card that a more aggressive player would probably represent if they had diamonds. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a good spot to check-raise. Uh, and just as a general rule, if you're out of position and you kind of have a, a strong value hand. Um, if you think there's a high probability of your opponent betting the turn, you should you know go for the check raise because that's then you're able to get more of your stack in. And especially because it was a limp pot, when when you turn the nuts, you want to really value target the top of his range. Like you don't want to just get six dollars from like a jack. You want to get you know fifty to a hundred dollars the few times he has two pair top pair sets. Uh -huh. um, but again, given given your image uh, and the fact that you're known as a tight player, I definitely like leading out here, because I know personally if I'm playing with, you know, someone who looks like a a knit or I've had history with them and they're pretty tight, um, it's rare that that type of player will you know lead out when they turn the nuts. There's mm -hmm. definitely some that definitely happens, but I think it's it's less common. So I like kind of disguising your your hand here, but. 
this kind of goes back to the beginning. I think this shows why, you know, maybe playing a little more aggressively pre-flop will mm-hmm. uh, be—you'll be able to make more money after the flop as a result because, you know, then if if you bluff a little bit more, people will start paying you off a little bit wider mm-hmm. because, like, so let's say if you check raise this spot, everyone always folds because they kind of know it's the nuts. Right. Well, then that's a perfect spot to check raise when you have diamonds and miss, right. you know, right. kind of you always want to, you know, I, ideally uh, be one step ahead of your opponents if you feel like you have a good sense of their game and can exploit them. And but even if not, you're playing against stronger players, then you just want to keep them guessing. You don't want to be the player where it's, oh, when this player bets this, they always have that. And when they bet that or they check, they always have that. So mm-hmm. you know, there's something to, th- to think about to just kind of throw throw the the people off off your game <laughs> yeah no good all all good points all good points so so you bet six and then what does what does the other player do uh he just flat calls it mm-hmm. and do you do you think he's uh ever flatting there with like very good hands like sets and two pairs and maybe worse straights i think he's flatting either with uh a king maybe even a jack hoping he'd hit a second pair you know, he, he he may be assuming that I'm still on a draw, or I think he might be flatting with a uh, with a flush draw. Yeah. Uh, so if if he had, let's say, a set of queens or jacks, I mean, this more aggressive player is likely raising that preflop. But and especially a game as you described, I think it's possible that this player might decide to get tricky early on in the session. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say they had a set, or they had the bottom set of the you know card you don't remember, or they turned a straight. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're ever flatting kind of the top of their range, or are they are they mainly raising there? No, I think he'd raise. I the the impression I got when he flat called there is that uh, he was hoping he was hoping either he was good and I was bluffing, or hoping that the river would bring something significant. I don't I don't think that he was he was figuring that he wasn't ahead at that time. Yeah, okay. So I, I just wanted to clarify that. And I, I agree, you know, based on the information I have, that's kind of what I would assume about this player. And just wanted to make that clear to the listeners. So now when we're going to the river, we're kind of knowing that, assuming nothing changes, we're going to be value targeting not the top of their range. Uh, after we make the $6 bet and they flat, then we're thinking they have like one pair of hands most of the time. So then on the river, you don't want to try to make a big bet to get value just from two pair plus or you know top pair top kicker plus you want to maybe let this player turn that hand into a bluff if you think they're capable of that or you know try to get some middling value from the types of hands that we think they have based on their turn flat Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so he flats so now we're going to the river with 24 dollars in the pot the river comes out uh again an inconsequential card except that it's a diamond Okay, so... So it didn't relate to anything else on the board other than being, that's the third diamond. Mm-hmm. So before, before we decide whether to kind of check, check or bet here, uh, do you think this player is capable of raising a riverbed of yours as a bluff? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, and do you think he's doing it roughly an appropriate amount of the time, or do you think uh, he might be bluffing a lot in this spot? I I would say, no, not inappropriately amount of time. I would say he's capable of it, but uh, I wouldn't say that's his usual mo. Okay, well, then, um, when you get to the to the river like this, 
Uh, well, let, let me hear what you did and, and why first before I give you my opinion. But <laughs> uh, I put another $6 bet out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is just thinking, okay, I, I had the nuts on the turn. The likelihood that, you know, he's, he's got a flush is, is nil. I'm the super tight player, so he might consider even if he had the flush the, that I might have hit the flush too. So mm-hmm. I really thought uh, I'd put another $6 bet and he'd fold and, and the pot would be mine. So when you were betting $6, you wanted him to fold? Yeah. Well, or or call with a lesser hand. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's one of those spots where you got to, when you're, when you're thinking of your bet size, really try to think about what, what types of hands he has and what he's going to, you know, what he's going to do with those hands. So on the turn, we kind of came to that. He has a lot of middling hands there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you know, his diamond draws, but then also a lot of one-pair hands. Mm-hmm. So I think a $6 bet against someone who's maybe never raising the river as a bluff could be a good play, mm-hmm. um, as you could maybe get some value from some kings. Uh, but I think against... I mean, if, if I see a really tight player make the same bet on the turn in the river, I can be sure to a very... a, a pretty high degree of certainty that they don't have a flush... And then if I think they're going to fold a lot to a big raise, I'm going to make that raise every time. Uh, so I'm guessing just because you brought in the hand that the player raised you? Yeah, yeah, not huge. He, yeah. He just doubled it, he put. He, but, it, but, I mean, it was, it was insta-call, or insta-raise. It was, you know, as soon as I had that out there, he says, uh, raise it $12. So I doubled the bet. Yeah, so, I mean, I think on the river, I actually like betting more because with a six dollar bet you're you're telegraphing your hand by basically saying i don't have a flush so in a way you're kind of putting a little bullseye in your head (laughs) so i think that well we have we have to make a few assumptions before we decide the bet sizing uh do you think this player would call a bet of half potter or so with it with a king not against me not against you and If you check the river, do you think he would be capable of turning a hand like a pair of kings or a pair of jacks into a bluff? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, then I think I really like checking here, actually. Yeah. yeah. Because if we, if we check and he's going to turn all of his kings and jacks into a bluff, or many of them, then I think check calling here is a, is a really, really good option, assuming he doesn't mm-hmm. do something crazy like a big overbet. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, if you bet greater than half pot, that doesn't really make much sense because he's just going to fold out everything worse and call or raise with the hands that beat you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when you bet $6 into a $24 pot and he raises it to 12 uh, you only have to call six more dollars mm-hmm. to, win, to win $48. So you're, you're getting really, really good pot odds here. Mm-hmm. So if he basically has to be bluffing like one out of... So so you're getting eight to one here. <laughs> so if you think he's bluffing at least, you know, about thirteen, fourteen percent of the time, then I think you should call. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, a judgment call in your spot. Uh, you know, I wasn't playing with the guy. Typically, obviously in, in live low stakes cash games, whether home games or in a casino, and when a player like this limps pre flop and then just bets the flop, calls your on the turn and min raises you on the river you're almost always beat but because of the pot odds you know you could think you're right one out of four times and then you have a correct call because you're getting such good odds on your money 
-hmm. So it's really just a question of, you know, if you think this player might make one of those min-raise bluffs in this spot. Mm -hmm. And there's some players that I've played against who I would fold fold to this raise with anything but a medium flush. And there's a lot of players who I'd insta-call because I'm getting such good pot odds and know that they could occasionally be bluffing. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a tough spot. Mm -hmm. So what, what were you thinking, uh, and what did, what did you end up doing on the river? I, uh, I folded. You folded, okay. I folded. I folded. I, if, if I'd have thought it through, in fact, as soon as I folded it and, and the hand was over, I regretted it immediately. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I folded, uh, folded more out of, rather than calculation and logic, which you presented, I folded more out of, <laughs> out of just disgust, like, oh, fuck, really? <laughs> you hit that flush, huh? Yeah. And I was thinking, it's too early in the night to, to get into a, a pissing match. But like I say, as soon as I folded it, I, I thought, you idiot, for $6, I mean, again, I didn't get, figure out the odds like you do, but I guess I played enough that there's a subconscious track in me that's kind of figuring it out for me. And I thought, uh, that's for $6, A, he... he I, I would say probably 50-50 that he was bluffing. So, you know, A, I would have won the pot. B, I'd have gotten some good information. But yeah, so, so if probably this... Probably could have slept better. So. <laughs> so this is an important point. So if you think he's bluffing 50-50, mm -hmm. um, which, again, I, I think that might be a bit of a, a, big, a big assumption as even a pretty aggressive player. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a big bluff to make. And if I'm going to try to bluff a type player off... A hand that they clearly like, you know, when when you've taken the line you've taken, you never have less than top pair, top kicker. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if if he if he basically knows that, then uh, I'd raise it, you know, in his spot to probably twenty something, mm -hmm. uh, just because I think that'll get the job done a lot mm -hmm. more. But again, if you have a lot of history, this is a home game. He might he might know that the min the min raise looks stronger and might even work a higher percentage of the time against you. So there's a lot of there's a lot of metagame metagame right. here. Right. Um, and here's another thing to consider. I would like this a lot more if you had the ace diamond nut blocker. Right. But let's say, you know, so this player seemed, like you said, is a decent thinking player. If he has a flush in that spot and makes it 12, and you come over the top and make it 40, what do you think he's doing with, you know, his queen high, his queen high flushes? His jack high, his 10 high flushes? Yeah, good point. Because <laughs> I am the nut peddler, so yeah, that would be a very tough thing to do. Exactly, and that's kind of I've I've actually I've seen a player uh, that I don't see much anymore, but I used to play regularly with the two five game in, in Cleveland, and he was a uh, you know an older guy, you know much older than most of the players who were playing there, and played very tight. But one time I saw him take this crazy line uh, that you know, looked to me and looked to everyone else like he just had to have the nuts in that spot because mm -hmm. he plays so few hands and it just, the line made so much sense with the nuts and then this kind of younger pro kept looking at his hand and was confused and was like, I mean, he's like, I call, I mean, I, I have the nuts. Mm -hmm. and, the, and this older player, you know, showed some garbage hand and it was one of those things where it's, he was very aware of his image, you know. It's like mm -hmm. he, he plays really, really tight, but as a result, he's kind of built up this fold equity this crazy amount of fold equity that can get, you know, really good players to fold hands as good as the second nuts. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously on the river, once you get to that spot, playing the hand the way you did, it's easy to think about it as between calling and folding. Mm -hmm. But after I kind of told you the, the, my thoughts about why it should likely be a call, I was thinking, well, 
if he doesn't have the nuts, which, you know, he likely doesn't. He's going to min-raise you probably with all of his flushes and maybe a few bluffs. So if you make a big raise to like 40 or 50, you know, it it doesn't need to work that often Uh for it to be profitable. And if if he folds everything but the nuts and the second nuts in that spot, which he likely will, you have a pretty profitable bluff there. So just something to think about, you know, to throw your buddies and maybe maybe show the hand after and get them to start paying you off lighter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is a good point. Yeah. And, but I'll tell you what I thought. You know, not only did I thought, think I should have called it, but the next thought that came through, and again, this is probably outside of the scope of, of uh, you know, what you want to do or where you want to go, but my thought was, because I do play so much Omaha, when I very rarely do play No Limit Hold'em or just regular Hold'em, uh, the phrase, I see monsters, and it happens a lot to me. It really does. Because yeah. In Omaha, you're almost always having to have the nuts. You know, just, there isn't that much gray area in Omaha, or even Big O, which we play a lot more than Omaha with the five down card. Yeah, well, with Big O, so that's definitely a... That's an up-peddling game. <laughs> yeah, I think I see monsters when it comes to, to hold them because I've just I've just got myself so much trained to, you know, if, unless you've got unless you've got the goods, you might as well let it go. Yeah, playing live low stakes, uh, PLO or Big O or even you know, and especially just like you know, normal limit Omaha, it's basically just a game of of math and mm-hmm. and waiting for the nuts like. Especially when you're playing limit Omaha and you're getting odds like ten to one, twenty to one, thirty to one, you never have any fold equity. Mm-hmm. So the the game is won not by, you know, hand reading someone and bluffing them off their hand. It's just having a really really good sense of you know what a good range of hands is in certain spots and how the equity of your range uh, goes up against other players' hands and their hand ranges. And that's how you know the best kind of limit Omaha players and to some degree PLO players make make uh, not non deep stack PLO players make their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from, you know, recently playing a few more sessions of live PLO at the shoe, I can, you know, definitely tell you it's a really different game than Hold'em. Mm-hmm. And there's two players that are kind of older, more experienced and play very tight and conservative. And there's spots where I see them put all their money in and I know they always have the nuts and I see these players you know, call and call again with the second and third nuts and spots mm-hmm. when they're just obviously never good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, basically, I mean, being being a nit that understands the game and will make you decent money in Omaha. But that's why I personally love Hold'em because you have a lot more room to, yeah, uh, yeah, to, to maneuver post-flop, especially deeper stacked Hold'em. And to me, there's a lot more hand reading that's involved. I mean, once mm-hmm. you're playing deep stack PLO, it changes, but in like a live PLO game, like let's say we're playing one two, you know, with a five dollar bring in PLO, five hundred dollar max. So essentially one hundred big blinds. Someone raises and you get, you know, a minimum three calls at a full ring table and then someone bets pot on the flop, you know, it's I mean all the money goes in on the flop and Thank you never you. have any fold equity. So sometimes in a heads up pot there's room to maneuver, but until you're, you know, two, three, four hundred big blinds deep in PLO, maybe more shorthanded, a lot of the elements that are present in, in a lot of Hold'em situations don't come up in PLO, which is why I actually used to mainly play PLO when I was playing more online. Mm-hmm. But since transitioning to live, it's focused mainly on No Limit because mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot more interesting to me and I feel like um, my, yeah, my, my edge is magnified because I have more maneuverability. 
That being said, though, I think the average skill level of, of PLO, especially you know, live low-stakes PLO, is much, much lower. So it's something I've been thinking about, kind of re-getting back into a little bit more and studying the game. And of course, if I had a home game <laughs> that I can go to that played, you know, Pineapple, Dealer's Choice, all these other fun games, then, uh-huh. you know, I'd I'd look at those too. But for now, it's just uh, just the mainly the casino for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I feel like I I have the edge in in the Omaha and the Big O's, and so uh, that's probably why I make hasty decisions in in Hold'em when I do play Hold'em just to just to get out of the way because I know the rec- next round is going to get called Omaha and I'm a lot more comfortable in that wheelhouse. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the Just Hands Poker Podcast. Thank you. Uh, we hope to have you back on. Analysis. Yeah, hope to have you back on sometime soon. Hey, guys, Jack here. Thanks again to Bruce for joining us this week. We wanted to give a few announcements. We have our first premium podcast series coming out. Zach has been working with a Maryland Live 2-5 grinder and coaching him through some spots he's encountered and also working with him on more specific techniques that we normally talk about on the show in terms of how you can work away from the table to improve your game. So I'm looking forward to hearing that, uh, and you should be too. I'm also beginning a blog series about beginning to learn PLO and about uh, my journey, what sources I use, conclusions I reach, and then when those conclusions maybe turn out to be true or false, and it'll ultimately culminate in six to eight weeks when I make my live PLO debut probably at the Horseshoe in Cleveland. So look out for that, uh, and stay tuned with the podcast, and leave your comments on the website, and keep sending us hands, and we'll see you next Tuesday.